It's a question you often hear, this question of, is this history repeating itself? And it's a question that actually comes up quite a bit in many of my writing classes, particularly any of my classes involving research, and especially research related to certain types of socio-political issues. And I think it's actually a good question. I've heard it debated before in various circles. Oh, that's not a good question to ask. Of course, history doesn't repeat itself. People repeat themselves. Ideas repeat themselves. Uh, There's lots of variations and debates that I suppose you can get into on the terms themselves and the definition itself of that question. But I think it's at its core a good one because, like I mentioned, it, it does come up in many issues that students want to write about that are contemporary issues. And, you know, it's funny, ever since the semester ended this year, what with the pandemic and all, I have was so busy that I haven't done an episode in a while, and I've been trying to catch up on some reading. And one of the books that I've been reading, uh, I've been bouncing around with a lot of history because I feel with everything that's going on in the world, trying to make sense of it really re- requires actually diving into real comprehensive history and really seeing, you know, trying to navigate how that that web is is weaved together in order to see how we've gotten to where we've gotten. So I've been reading a lot of different history from uh, contemporary America or relatively contemporary America of the 20th century to the Civil War, and even just some interesting different stuff. For example, going all the way back to what I've been most recently reading now, which is uh, this book called SPQR, The Senate and People of Rome by Mary Beard. And it's a it's a history essentially of the Roman Republic and the sort of rise of the Roman Republic. Most books that maybe not most books, I don't know, but most of the books I hear about are about the fall of the Roman Republic. That's a little racier and and more fascinating maybe for many uh, audiences. But uh, I guess that's why she sort of took more of the stance of the development of the Republic. But anyways, I've been reading this. And I think that's just as interesting, right? Because people like to draw parallels between the end of the Roman Republic and perhaps the end of our current American Republic, which is a whole other discussion to get into. But I think it is an interesting discussion, regardless of what conclusions you, you draw. But I've been reading this book, and anyways, one of the stories she tells among many stories about the the sort of development of the Republic. And what's funny about the development of the Republic is that it is also inherently sort of about the fall of the Republic, right? It's almost as if as it was developing, it was setting up the, setting the chess pieces into place to lead to its very downfall, uh, which is an an interesting uh, analysis, but I think probably not a, a, not a crazy one by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, the more I read about ancient Rome, it sounds like the most accurate one. But anyways, this story that she tells, or one of this these stories among many, was about a uh, an example of a Roman comedy show, which didn't know there were Roman comedy shows, but when you think about it, in an ancient society that would have thought of themselves as quite contemporary and quite modern, Why wouldn't they have comedy clubs, right? And so she tells this story um, that took place after something called the Social War at a place, a town called Ascalan in 98 BCE. And I won't get into the whole backstory of it because that's not the point of this podcast here, but 
uh, you should listen to her book if you're interested or if you're interested in, in more podcast type stories about HRM, definitely check out Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. That's a great source of material too. But anyways, this town in Italy, in this place called Askland in 98 BCE, at this comedy club where essentially Romans had, as the Republic developed and expanded, settled in towns and cities throughout eventually the empire, but first Italy. Obviously, Rome is a city, takes over the Italian peninsula, spreads its influence, and continues to do so from there. And one of the things they did was they settled people in these cities, Romans in the, in the city, which obviously caused tension, especially in some cases where they may have been taking land or different types of property from the locals and the, you know, either giving it to the Romans, stealing it from the locals, or buying it or whatever. Anyways, in this particular example... This uh, comedy show at this local amphitheater, or theater of sorts, um, had a split crowd of Romans and locals and comedians, which doesn't sound too unlike, perhaps, a modern comedy club, right? You have people with different opinions, different factions, if you want to call them that, in the crowd, maybe. And as we know, crowds can get unruly. And that's exactly what happened in this town, in this club, in this story, where the Roman part of the crowd didn't like the anti-Roman stance of one of the comics. I guess he was, I don't know if he was a local comic or a comic traveling throughout the Italian peninsula. But anyways, the Roman half of the crowd didn't like his anti-Roman jokes. And so they attacked him on stage and killed him. Bludgeoned him to death, I think is what she said. And they went back to their seats to continue the show, continue watching the show. And then so the next comedian was uh, allegedly a, a favorite of the Roman audience who had just attacked and killed the other guy. And I, I don't know exactly where she's drawing all the, these sources from, but uh, you know, however she's doing that, she tells the story as that the comedian was worried about now the other side, the local people, sort of paying back what had just been done to the other comic, right? Uh, so the one comic went up, made anti- Roman jokes, the Roman crowd killed him. Now, this, you know, comedian who the Romans love, he's worried the townspeople are going to say, oh, all right, well, now it's our turn. And so he went on stage at the very spot where the other man was just killed. He's the follow-up act to this guy. And he says, and I'll quote here, quote, I'm not a Roman spec, I'm not, I'm sorry, I quote, I'm not a Roman either. I travel throughout Italy searching for favors by making people laugh and giving pleasure. So spare the swallow, which the gods allowed to nest safely in your houses. I don't know what else he said, but apparently he said enough and then went on to make his jokes that the crowd were, were moved to sit back and, and watch the rest of the show. And then she adds on that didn't last long later, at some point later, I don't know if it was hours or days or whatever, all the Romans in the town were killed by the townspeople. And she claims that this was, I don't know what the fallout was of this, but that was relatively an ordinary uh, occurrence. Now, I don't know about you, but me reading that, it, I sort of had to pause because my initial reaction was, that is that is pretty crazy. I mean, if you think about that happening, something like that happening today, you think that's international news, right? That's something that, first of all, it, it seems crazy that it would happen today. But it certainly seems like it would be noteworthy and newsworthy and would cause all sorts of hoopla. Um, 
And then I started thinking, well, why wouldn't that happen today? What has changed in order to make an occurrence like that seem utterly absurd? And then I started thinking, well, do we have a modern equivalent? Have we actually moved past that sort of brutal, uncensored, I don't know, animalistic behavior, however you want to characterize it, and move towards something that's more, I guess, I don't know what word you would use, civilized in terms of our reaction or behavior, right? Like you would just boo at a comedian you didn't like. But then what I thought in response to that was, well, what's the closest thing we have to that example from ancient Rome? And the thought that came to mind was this idea of cancel, cancel, uh, cancel culture, right? This idea that, well, if somebody says something that offends us or we disagree with, we just cancel the person. We, you know, nobody hires them. They lose their job. Hopefully they, you know, have a terrible go at it. Essentially, as far as I can tell, and this is why it's so difficult. I've had students try to write papers about cancel culture. And, uh, you know, it's not like there's a, a book on it. Maybe there is a book on it, but I haven't read it. And as far as I can tell, this is a, an emergent phenomenon sort of where people have decided that this is a thing. So it's a thing, which means that the, the definitions, the exact definitions and the rules and the guidelines, of course, are unclear at best and may change and can therefore be problematic, perhaps, right? Which is why it's controversial and why students like to write about it, which I think is good because it's important to discuss. But how different is that, really, if the goal, if the ethos of the uh, the idea here is to ruin that person's life? And obviously, if you think about ruining somebody's life, that can lead to all sorts of terrible things, right? Obviously, I don't want to get too much into the, the philosophical element of that, right? Because the counter would be like, well, when it's not like we're actually you know going up on stage and beating this person to death. But there's a, a vitriol to it, right? There's oftentimes still a, uh, a fierce sort of emotion behind that, that motivation to really uh, ruin somebody, which I find fascinating, right? And it's almost like, okay, well, how much have we changed then? And obviously somewhat, right? Because they're not factually the same thing. But in some ways, there are similarities and there are parallels. And this is what I think it's really interesting to talk about with history in general and change in general and progress in general and sort of trying to reflect upon, as we said earlier, how far have we come and how do we really look at and assess history? How do we really look at and assess objectively where we've come from and why things were the way they were? You know, it's easy to judge what's been done in the past because we're not part of the past. We're removed from that reality of, of their situation. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, of course, is an important topic of discussion. But you can sort of think about today. I mean, this is something that I always tell students as an exercise to think about in terms of audience awareness. You know, if you want to think about who your audience is when you're writing anything and how to convince them of something, you have to think about, well, what will they care about? What will they know? What won't they know? What will their values be? What will their biases be? What will, you know, what information might they have that's correct or incorrect? There are all these questions that you would normally or should normally ask of yourself that you have to ask of your audience too. And so when we think about why we do what we do today and what future people will think about, I think that's really interesting. And 
if you think about something as, you know, sort of every day as driving your car, right? I think that's a perfect example. And the reason why I say that is because we all know that, well, I shouldn't say we all know because not all of us do and certainly not all of us agree. But I think um, many, perhaps the majority of us at this point agree that we are degrading the environment at the very least. I think even, I, 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 w- I would say that that even most of the staunchest, uh, say, I, I actually know people who are who don't believe in climate change, um, who still believe in environmental advocacy and environmental protection because they can see it. Uh, they can actually, this is something I do a lot of, of with my beach cleaning, where a lot of people who actually don't believe in climate change still are into beach cleaning because I think it's something that they can see. Which, fine, if I can get them in that way and start the conversation, I'll take it. Um, but I think that's a good example because the environmental degradation is is something that we can see, but it's something that we're not doing enough about to really prevent the worst consequences of climate change. Now, a hundred years from now, if hopefully God's willing, I say God's because um, I'll take as many as I can get at this point. <laughs> um, I feel like people or whoever's around will look back and say, "What in the world were they doing?" They, they knew, they knew that all these fossil fuels and, and, and chemicals and, and everything else that they were doing was irrevocably harmful. It was terrible. And they just did it anyways. I, I even feel like 30 years from now, people might look back and say, yeah, well, you did all this environmental work, like you said, with the beach cleaning, but you still drove your car to work every day. Why I would have, I would have rode my bike. I would have done the right thing and rode my bike. Now, again, we're getting into philosophical territory, right? Because there is a logic there. Like, yeah, if I really do believe this, why aren't I riding my bike to work? Well, it's a balance of practical values and and practical advocacy is sort of the very short answer there. Um, but again, it's it's sort of like this this hindsight is twenty twenty this retrospective where it's like, yeah, it's so much easier to look back and say, I wouldn't have done that. I would have done things differently. I would have known um, when you're removed from that situation. Again, I think that there are certainly examples where you can do that and say like, yeah, that seems pretty awful. Like hopefully I would hope that I would be a person who wouldn't do that because there are examples of people who didn't do that, right? It's not like it was impossible for people to realize that and people didn't. That's how progress slowly happened and, and eventually things changed. But it's that's it's not as simple as that. Like I think everybody would assume, uh, or way more people assume that than realistically would have actually done it, or it would have been done differently in the things would have been done differently in the past. You know, another example that I've been thinking of lately that students have brought up to me is meat eating, which that's one where I think maybe even I feel like progress can happen quickly, and I think maybe even twenty five thirty years from now, people will look back on factory farming and once we have lab meat, which is essentially making cultivating meat in labs, which hopefully is way more sustainable and obviously not cruel to animals, that idea for most people today, they sort of cringe at it. They think that's disgusting. I'm not eating lab meat. I've actually he- have heard it referred to as shmeat for shit meat. Um, but ironically, I think it's one of those things, you know, I don't know if you've heard 
the urban legend. It might be true of how when colonists first came to the Americas, they thought that lobsters were hideous and, and only poor people's food and they were six feet long or, or and they were huge or something and they were so easy to catch that only poor people ate them. Obviously now they're, you know, becoming more and more of a delicacy as they they are, are rare. But that's sort of the parallel I draw with, with meat eating where people, you know, it's the opposite. People in the future will be abhorred by the fact that you used to just wholesale factory genocide these animals because you just like the taste. You, there were alternatives you could have come up. To, you could replicate taste with chemicals and, right, like all these alternatives and more sustainable things. But that's easier to say when you just have lab meat as an industry, as an industrial complex or something, right, in the future to look back and say that. Um, so I think that's really interesting. And and again, it's sort of just this idea of it's not saying to to justify what, what has happened and what's been done in the past. But it's to sort of try to understand the factors that lead to that. And this is sort of a, a difference that I think is really important to emphasize and important to note in any type of research or discussion about historical situations and, and historical circumstances and events. You don't have to agree with what was done, but in order to understand it, you sort of have to really analyze the, the, the causal factors and the, the thread of how one cause leads to the other. And this is why it's so tricky for, I feel like, students to write historically-based research papers. Or so I'm finding more and more because that takes time to do. I mean, I feel as if the more history I read, the more I'm finally starting to sort of understand why history exists the way it does and how we got to where we did, did um, have today, which means a whole host of things, right? Because there's more than one issue, obviously. There's a million and a million and one, million and two, million and ten issues, right? But I think that's sort of what it comes down to. I mean, I uh, I told my brother a quote the other day that I came up with um, after reading what I'd, I've been reading. I had read uh, the Ulysses S. Grant biography, which was a really interesting, thorough insight into uh, one specific president. Um. And I said, and I had been watching some other stuff about the Civil War because it's such a pivotal point in American history and such an interesting one. And in some ways, I think misunderstood. Um, but I said to him that in order to understand the Civil War, you have to understand American history. And in order to understand American history, you have to understand the Civil War. <laughs> and it's this idea sort of, I think, that... The two are so interconnected that it's almost like a paradox uh, to, to really understand one without first studying the other. And what I mean by that is you sort of have to study a lot of it, essentially. You have to study what came before, what happened during, as well as what happened after. And you can't even do that in, in one book. I mean, maybe a really long book you can, like a, a Ulysses S. Grant biography, but uh, I think it takes many more books. And I've been reading others to sort of get a better sense and a better perspective and even reading perspectives that I think are wrong or that I don't agree with because I think that really helps to shed light on like okay well why would somebody misrepresent that point of view or why would they be biased in this way or why would they leave out this information or this point of concern and these are all elements that I talk about in in my classes my writing classes in terms of the the nature and value of 
thorough research to get to a meaningful point that you want to make. Um, I think the point that, okay, I have a point I want to prove and I'm just going to find information that backs it up is so problematic, especially for beginning writers and researchers. Again, there are situations where that makes sense and that is exactly what you should do, but there's so many other circumstances where that just falls apart so quickly because it becomes so easy to come up with just fallacy for that. And, you know, again, if you're not doing the thorough work, the, the thorough research that you should do, I mean, I can find any information on anything and some of it is seemingly credible in some ways that justifies pretty much any viewpoint as misguided or as abhorrent as it may be. And uh, conversely, I can have a great point, but still find bad information for it, which then somebody who disagrees with me will read and then say they're not convinced by that because they're noticing problems that I'm blinded from noticing because I feel like, well, I'm already right. So I just have to find something that sort of coincides with that point, right? So all of this is a very long-winded way, uh, as I usually do, <laughs> of talking about the importance of really asking why, how do we analyze perspective and past events and how do we make sense of that today and i think why that's so important as per my initial question of does history repeat itself because i don't know the answer to that question but i think you can understand how and why people and institutions and society acts a little more thoroughly and a little bit more manageably if you've looked at the patterns of behavior throughout history and if you've researched them properly and effectively and you know this is something i tell my students as well that obviously uh, i'm doing a summer course right now and we're talking about this right now as a matter of fact uh, this week you know obviously you're not going to wake up in a year or five years or 10 years from now and say oh man i i have this question about whatever i'm going to write a academic research paper on that using <laughs> the exact format professor labs taught me I don't know, maybe you will. If you do more power to you, send it to me. I'd be happy to read it because you probably really care and will write a really good paper, hopefully. But it's more so the skills involved, the skills of assessment and perspective and analysis and thorough research that you want to take away. And obviously there's other academic and professional realms where yeah, you do have to do specific types of research that either are quite similar or deviate quite significantly from a standard academic paper of which there are various sorts and formats right but you know again i think it's it's the tools involved and and sort of how you can then allocate those tools to other realms of how you think about different argumentation and situations where arguments arrive and arise rather and discussion arises because i don't know about you guys listening uh, whoever you are, wherever you are. I know, know a lot of students listen, obviously, but I mean, if ever there were a time to reassess how we discuss things in society, now is it. I mean, I only see it getting worse from here uh, and I hope it gets better. I'm trying to make it better. But the amount of people that I know who are just tuned out, who just pretty much don't engage at all on social media, which is an episode we got to do soon because this is getting really bad. Um, Again, there's a lot of good things going on always, too. It's not a monolith. It's not all good or all bad. But so many people are just checked out because they just, you know, they don't want to get involved. Um, and for various reasons, which, again, is a whole other episode. And whether that's right or wrong is a whole other episode, too, of them. But that just leaves the psychos. That just leaves, all right, there are some well-meaning people 
who are, are doing well-meaning stuff. But, you know, if people are afraid or unwilling or, or don't desire to engage and talk about things, well, who are you left with? Yeah, you're left with some good people, but you're also left with the loonies. And then that makes it look like that's that's the only sides that there are. There's good people and evil people, and that's it. Uh, there's nothing in between. There's no growth. There's no change. There's no development. There's no um, awareness of the fact that we can and should be trying to get towards uh, compromises of, of really saying like, okay, what is the truth of the matter here? I mean, so much to talk about there with misinformation and fake news and all that, but that's an episode for another time. <laughs> and I just wanted to uh, do this episode as sort of a quick reintroduction to uh, the rest of our, our summer series here, because we'll have some more episodes coming up soon. And that's really all I wanted to say. You know, I'll, I'll end with just a, uh, a brief example from another book. Oh, the Ulysses S. Grant book I read, actually, about the nature of progress and how I think people are just so frustrated now that uh, things are, seem impossible almost to get done. And it's so easy to lose sight of, you know, meaningful change and uh, hope <laughs> that unfortunately, you know, people just kind of throw their hands up and go on their computers and watch Netflix. So the example I like to give is that of, uh, from the, I should mention Ron Cherno biography on Colt Grant. And, uh, he gives a really interesting story about how Susan B. Anthony, who, uh, went to see president Grant towards the end of his first presidential term. And she met with him because this was, I don't know, 18, early 1870s, I think. Um, she met with him because she wanted to advocate for women's rights to vote because they didn't have rights to vote. And he straight up told her, yeah, I can't do anything. I can't make that happen. And he told her what he could do. Uh, and he, he had done some things. He had assigned women as, as postmasters into other positions, you know, more so than any other president before him. So he was progressive in that way, but he admitted blankly to her that that would be, you know, advocating for women's rights would be political suicide, and he, he just couldn't make it happen. So he told Susan B. Anthony, again, to her face, no, I'm not, I'm not supporting. Again, this is the way to look at it. Like, oh, no, I'm not supporting your right to vote. Um, Susan B. Anthony went on to, uh, I think she lived in New York in Buffalo, went on to vote in the presidential election uh, and voted for Grant. She still voted for Grant. And I forget the exact quote, but she said something, uh, or Cherno said something about how um, she, you know, argued that he was closer to the future she wanted than the alternative. And that's sort of what I feel like, you know, we need to keep in mind with not giving up on really doing the work of uh, research and sharing what we find in a genuine way where... Um, I think you, you have to want to learn as much as anybody else, um, anybody else that you're trying to convince of anything else. And you have to try to understand why people either don't understand what you're saying or don't want to understand what you're saying or, um, you know, whatever other roadblocks there are in the way. Whether or not you want to do that is, is, a, is another issue, but it's unfortunately seems like the reality of the situation, so... Do your research <laughs> is the moral of the story. Take a deep breath because this has been a heck of a year so far and it's only, well, it's more than halfway over now, thank the gods, but we've still got a bit of ways to go. <laughs> and, uh, 
you know, we're going to have more episodes, hopefully some, some more fun episodes coming up soon. But I don't know if history repeats itself. I'd be interested to know what you think. I think there are certainly common elements and themes that do come up that, again, I would highly recommend you go and listen to some podcasts or read some books on history to learn more. Because I think if everybody just read more history and everybody tried a little bit harder, we would be in a much better place today and moving forward. So uh, that's all I have to say today. Thanks so much for listening. Um, You can follow our podcast for updates on new episodes at professorlabs.podbean.com. You can tweet at us uh, for everything I said that was probably wrong here. Uh, feel free, pro- please call me out on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Cho T Labs. Uh, or check out, we have more content related to writing and uh, my other work on YouTube. Just search for Professor Labs is uh, the channel name. But um, I hope everybody's well. I hope everybody's having as well of a summer as we can have. Get through this together. And uh, we'll be back uh, next week. I'm going to start doing regular episodes again weekly, have some guests coming up soon, and we'll uh, keep the ball rolling that way. So thanks again so much for listening as always. And until next time, stay safe. See, this is how out of practice I am. I can't even <laughs> I can't even uh, speak full sentences back on mic yet. Um, so until next time, I'm going to try to stay safe, be well, and uh, as always, keep learning. <laughs>